Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. I'm your host, Sean DeVries, as always. Thanks for tuning in. Now, today is a podcast I've wanted to get out for a long time. We're going to talk about finances. We're going to talk about capital. We're going to talk about it with Matt and Braden from Rising Tide Financial here in Melbourne. I've known these guys for three or four years. They know their stuff completely inside and out. So I really wanted to give some really great nuggets of advice in today's podcast. We talk about what the most common mistakes are when people start up a food venture for the first time, what the ideal maximum of directors you should have when you start up your food venture, and how is automation actually going to change the hospitality industry for the better. I hope you enjoy today's podcast and let me know what you think. All right, welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. Great to be here with Brayden Johnston and Maddie Hale. From Rising Tide Financial Voice, thanks so much for being part of the podcast. Thanks for having us, mate. Thanks for having us, Sean. Um, now, guys, I've known you. I've known you boys for about probably two or three years now. I remember meeting you, Matt, back in the day, and it would have been three. It's over three years now. At Baker. At Baker to Carico. Yeah. So we've had a great association, and that's why I wanted to get you both on today to really talk about the part of the hospitality industry which a lot of people don't think about until they have to, which is how do I get finance and how do I really um, understand what my what my dollars are going to do in my business. So I want to get into that into more detail. But first of all, um, Matt, maybe you want to start. What does Rising Tide actually do? How do you explain it in a bit of an elevator pitch? Firstly, thanks for having us. That's right. Really simply, Rising Tide does our absolute best to help people either focus on their business, mm-hmm. their careers, or their family. Right. We try to do the grunt work so that people can do the stuff that they really enjoy doing and mm-hmm. the stuff that they're generally good at. Sure. Which often isn't finance. Yeah. Okay. Do you find it's do you find it's a something people come to you with a little bit of knowledge or no knowledge? Like what's the sort of ratio of like what more people are like when they come yeah. to you the first time? It's an interesting mix. Like you'll get mm-hmm. um, some that come in and put their hand up and say they know nothing. Right. And then to, they tend to be ones that actually probably know more than most because they yeah. pretend to know that they sure. know everything about it. And mm-hmm. yeah, we do. We, we have people come in that. Um, you know, think they know everything. It's a bit of a shock to them once right. they, they hear the, yeah. the news. So, mm-hmm. um, but most people kind of at a really basic level can understand how money moves around and the banking side of it, getting sure. paid and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know, it's our role to then take it to the next level that they're comfortable with. You know, the decisions that they're going to make around their finances. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, yeah. I, and mate, just to jump in, back to your question, mm-hmm. we help people set up businesses mm-hmm. and run them really well, mm-hmm. and then just general financial planning, help them get loans, help them get tax returns done, get sure. all their super, all the, all the compliance, all the compliance mm-hmm. stuff that no one really likes doing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Britain Wiz is imperative. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> in for me. Um, so what's... I know you guys deal with so many different businesses, but I know you deal with a couple of hospitality businesses as well, and, and I've led you into a couple of um, a couple of groups as well. What's the most common mistake that you see people make when they launch into their first food venture? Yeah, yeah. The the one that stands out repeatedly is just lack of capital, lack of access to cash. Right. Going into it um, with a great idea and potentially the skills to be able to deliver it, uh-huh. but then finding out that. There's a whole lot of stuff you've got to put in place before you even open the doors. Sure. And, and people time and time again forget about that and it can really catch them out. And then they're playing catch up. Sure. So when you say lack of capital, is that because they've got an idea of how much it will actually cost and then it costs this, it yeah. costs more? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. right. So they know exactly what, what it might cost to deliver a coffee. 
Yes, but what yep. does it mean to actually set up the right structure? Um, mm-hmm. What's the cost of, of actually getting the finance in? Like they're, they're the things that you have to pay for. Yes, but you don't think of that day to day when you're out there delivering on you know meals and, and coffees and so forth. You're not thinking about what's it actually cost to keep a big beast like an office or a, a restaurant running. Mm-hmm. Um, and once those invoices start coming in, mm-hmm. it can be panic stations because there's yeah. no money there to be able to pay it because it's all been loaded into stock in that first month and. and yeah, it just continually catches people out. Yeah. Um, do you find that... Uh, what do you think that is? Do you, do, you think people, do you think that is because they're so focused on what they do well in the business, which they might be managing staff or, or doing good cost of goods and that kind of stuff, and they don't think how much it's actually going to cost them working capital-wise? Yeah, it's a good question. I think most people go into it thinking quite positively that yes. they'll open the doors and it will just happen. Yes, and right. even if you're a little bit tied up front, it'll work its way through and you'll be able to cover it in in a month or two. Um, I think most people have a level of um, stress that they can, and financial stress that they can work under. Absolutely. Um, And things will turn out right. Mm -hmm. Naturally, that's just the way a lot of people and a lot of business owners operate. Um, The reality is that, you know, the first year probably, it can be really tough, particularly with hospitality businesses. Yeah. Do you um, you tell them that straight up? Is that a hard thing for people to hear? No, I think, like I said before, the, the people that um, come in and, and put their hand up and say, we're not really sure what it looks like, can you help us out with cash flow? Yeah. It's, it, that's a really smooth process, but mm-hmm. it's people that might um, you know, have seen it at a high level or have come out of bigger operations and mm-hmm. come into a small cafe thinking mm-hmm. they know everything. Mm-hmm. And operationally, they will. Yes. Financially, it's totally different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Different ball game, so. Yeah. Okay. Matty, do you have anything to add to that? I think two things, and... The first one alluded to what Brian was talking about, running a small business, you've got to be a generalist mm. and that often is counterintuitive to where people have come from, be it they've worked with staff or they've worked in the back end or they've worked on the, the whole process. Mm-hmm. But you can't just focus on what you enjoy focusing on. Yeah. Every, every job has its ironing, mm-hmm. but a small business has a huge amount of ironing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the secondary piece of it, and I think this is very much a generational thing as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we grow up and want to grow. We want to buy the house that our parents have had. That they've taken thirty years to buy. We yeah. want to buy it today. Yeah. We want to buy our TV on um, on interest free for twenty four months. Yes. People that go into a food venture often overcapitalize on the fit out. Yeah. Because that's the thing that they think most, you know, is important. Most definitely. But. If you think about cost of goods sold or staff, they're all hourly costs yes. or by the gram or whatever it might be. Yes. But a fit out, it's all done in one go and it's really lumpy. Yeah. And time and time again, it gets undervalued. Like you, you see people go in, so we've got this great space, we're about to sign the lease on it, and you ask the question, well, what's a fit out going to cost? And they'll look at you with a blank stare and it's like, oh. Really? Oh, um, <laughs> paint, bit of you know, we'll just get um, some cabinetry building. Like these are things like cabinetry yeah. is expensive. You know? It's very expensive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fridges are expensive. All yeah. the stuff, all the plumbing, all yeah. the electric, electrical work, mm-hmm. and it stacks up really, really quick. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not hard to, to get yourself into it. like a good fit out can cost you a couple hundred pounds. For some of the really big, um, you know, places around, it's five hundred, six hundred million bucks. Correct. And it keep, continues to build because it's sometimes. Particularly in the hospitality, 
sometimes they just want it to be perfect. Yes. And it just, it, it's a rabbit hole. And you, you can't, as much as you stand in and say it's fine, get it going, mm-hmm. you need to start getting some flow through, they'll wait until it's absolutely perfect. And then they've set themselves back maybe six months when they thought it could be three or four weeks. I know you guys obviously deal in a very emotional state. You're dealing with people's finances, you know, intrinsically a lot about them. Our relationship over the last three to four years has been great because of that reason. Why do you think they, when they buy that first venture, that they don't take a step back and maybe go to somewhere where the rent isn't as expensive or they take over an existing place that maybe is a bit less risk that they can stuff up, but they go and secure five mates and do $700,000 fit out? Yeah, Matty just touched on it. It's like we want the bees knees right now. Yeah. We want it to be, you know, we've seen it, we've been at a cafe and it's amazing. Yes. And, you know, our generation is, we want that now. And, and the reality is, to get to that point, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. I think secondary to that, why does most people's first relationship not work? <laughs> you, you're so heavily yeah. emotionally involved that sometimes yeah. you see what you want to see yeah, and it's not until true. people have had an opportunity to learn and go through three or four iterations of, mm-hmm. of how things are, what they know is going to work, sure. what their shortcomings are. Yeah. I reckon I reckon the people that, are, that have their successes would have been through their heartache. Yeah, yeah, true. And they just think, it's my time now and I'm going to spend as much money as I can to get it done. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah, there's no perfect way to do it, but ideally, yeah, it's, if, if anyone that's going into a hospitality business and they're buying something that's maybe in place, yes, they're better off not throwing all the eggs in the basket. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yes. being like right on the red line the whole time. Yes. Uh, there's plenty of good opportunities out there, people walking away from leases or they've just had enough or they, you know, they want to sell a business and you can get really good deals out there. Yes. Um, much better to be patient, find something that's going to suit their budget and that doesn't need a whole lot of cash flow up front mm-hmm. um, other than you know, usual stock and everything else mm-hmm. and then running there and if in 12 months time it's great, you can sell it or move it to a second venue or sure. it might be a little bit more around you know, long term how they see it working. Yep. Uh, you know, it's a place that's owner-operated with one staff member who's, mm. you know, day-to-day runs quite similar to something that's got 30 staff members. It's just on a whole big t- a bigger scale. Most definitely. And, and you, you know, we have seen people go into these kind of ventures and just not have the skill set to be able to deliver it. Yeah. 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 Because managing one person, it's hard enough, let alone 30. Most definitely. Yeah. I was talking with a hospitality professional on the weekend and, and he had heard of this, uh, this cafe group who has about four or five in Victoria. Uh, and if they have a down pat right now with the menu, the costing, what the lease should be, what the fit out should be, what the staffing cost should be, and if they don't get it, and obviously they have property property dealers come to them all the time, go, do you want this property, do you want that property, um, which they could quite easily take, good fit out contribution, all that kind of stuff. But if it doesn't fit the model, they don't do it. And I just wish a lot more places did that. Yeah. Stick to your knitting. Yeah, stick to what you know and just keep pushing it out. Maybe slightly tweak and change it as it goes. Yeah, on. and I think that's a that's probably as you know as people go further into their journey, mm. what works, what got you here, won't get you there. Yes, um, and, and so that, that's probably if you were mm. doing another thing, what the second time business owners get a lot better at. Yes, that's right. You know they they know the ebbs and flows. They know the formula to a degree. Yeah. Mm. Um, I've been talking a lot lately about the amount of directors or investors in hospitality businesses, especially when we get to that 500, 600, 700, a million dollar mark, um, you usually find some businesses have four or five directors and investors. In your guys' experience, what do you think the 
the maximum should be with the directors in that business. Yeah, I mean, there's no hard and fast rule. Um, we're probably on the same page on this, but mm. the fewer voices you have at the table, the easier it is to get things done. Sure. And um, that might mean that sometimes you have to give up a little bit of that if you need cash flow from an investor. Yeah. Point of view. So yeah. you've kind of got to separate director role against investor role. Sure. A lot of the time they do just cross over. <laughs> Someone puts their money and they want to have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think on that front, less is more. You need to weigh up the benefits that you get like at our business level. You couldn't run a business like this with one person. I think yes. there's so many moving parts. Yeah, of course. Um, so you need people in the right seat to be able to make it run. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's just the one business, then obviously, yeah, you could potentially operate it by yourself. But mm-hmm. you know, like I said before, if people are putting in cash generally, they want to have a say in what's happening. And of that course. can be a really hard juggle for a lot of people. Do you find a lot of people who say they're silent investors don't become less silent once the doors are open and once money's not been made? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That second point, especially. Yeah. 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 And are the other directors usually surprised by the fact that that's happened? Some, definitely. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Incredible. Like, I mean, you can have every handshake agreement or even on paper. It's yes. like, you're going to do this, we're going to give you the money to do this. Sure. These are the expectations and the returns we want. Mm. Um, as soon as you hand your money over, people are going, well, it's on the clock. With mm. What's happening with it? Yes. Uh, yeah. And something like a big fit out that flows out in time. Yes. Budget. People yeah. get really itchy about it because they go, well, we're pumping all this money and we're still, we're still not open. Yes. Uh, and what's that money going in might have a, an investment like an interest um, component of it. Most definitely. It has to be paid. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's really kind of, it's a, it's a balancing act of making sure you've got the right people in to be able to advise you and operationally run day to day have the funding to be able to do that. And sure. that's where that investor slash director relationship can, yeah, can fall apart or it can actually build the business. Yeah. I'm interested to get your guys' feedback on this, but what I've seen with a lot of businesses is where, where they've got three or four investors involved, it usually gets really murky at about month four. Because if they get a rent, if they get a fit out contribution or if they get rent relief, it's usually three to six months. So as they move into that fourth month and they still haven't executed on the first three months and they're not doing the numbers they've projected they were going to do, the pressure starts to build. I, I think a lot of it comes down to having really clear plans yes. and thinking about what might go right or wrong. And then each, each director slash investor has real clarity around what will happen when things are going well, mm-hmm. when things are going okay, and, what, and when things are going poorly. Mm-hmm. And that a really simple example. I think that's cash flow planning and so we go, all right, guys, this I know we don't out. want to think negatively, mm-hmm. but if we get down to here, this is what's going to happen. And, you know, I invested in business at the moment and I've definitely seen that play out, seen expectations where if they provide cash flow and it's sort of saying, hey, if we don't have profit here, yes. we go, we're all committing to do this, or we're committing to do that, and I think for, with the um, with the investors or with you know specific director numbers, as long as people understand where their on and off ramps are, yeah, right. That's a that's a really clear one. But but just to go back to you know the silent investors, one thing we have also seen as well is I think that sometimes uh, if people are running the business and it's going well, they also then underestimate the impact that the silent investor or just a, a cash. You know, injection yeah. may have made, Absolutely. and then they, you know, if Braden and I, he might be my silent investor, and all of a sudden things are going well, and I sort of go, why is Braden getting thirty percent of this when he's not, he's not lifting a finger? Yes. 
So it definitely goes both ways. Mm. I think, you know, things like distributing profit and chipping in when things are going tight, just to set those expectations early will overcome some of those really tough conversations. Sure. How often, when you you start out and you you, uh, build these company profiles for three or four investors in in a restaurant, for example, do you give them feedback on how often they should meet as a group? And the reason I say that is because if you're running a restaurant, you're going to have at least a weekly meeting with your leadership team. You're probably going to have daily meetings or service meetings with your team to make sure everything goes off all right. Do you guys say, okay, you as a board of directors or investors should, should catch up once a month and talk about cash flow and then once every three months actually talk about where the business is going in the next six? Uh, that makes sense. It comes back to the expectation up front. Right. Like it's agreed to that, um, you know, that you are going to meet monthly and then you yeah. Things in place to make sure that that happens. Sure. So, you, know, you do see that it drops off pretty quickly, and right. then um, you know if there's things in month four or five or whatever where it pops up, all of a sudden everyone's scrambling to want a meeting because yeah, it's correct. Might when they say to plan, right? Mm-hmm. And people are probably coming to the, this meeting with a bit of emotion around mm-hmm. it, um, rather than if it's in the diary talking about it, guys. This is on the horizon. Yep. Um, first four months have gone to plan, but we've probably we're probably a bit short in month five. We need to find a solution to it. Totally. Um, then the, you're on the front foot. It's coming from a, you know, you, you, when you're talking about things in advance, you're on the front foot. Mm-hmm. The, the conversations are a whole lot easier than trying to put out fire after it's happened. Most definitely. Yeah. I reckon you hit it on the head. Try to remove the emotion from it. And what we do know is that often people come together as investors with or directors of a business with personal relationships outside of business yeah. and they assume that it will flow on exactly as it does. Mm. The only difference being is that if you need to take a time out from a friendship, you can do that pretty quickly for sure. Three weeks. Sure. You can't do that from a business. You can't do that from a business. So mm. it's really important to make sure that really consistent environments to have those conversations are. Mm-hmm. And it might even mean that you do catch up monthly, as you said, and, and you know, every two out of every three months, it's more about staffing or high-level things, but then it means that you've got that continuity to be able to go, hey, guys, this is a, this is a, a real issue. Yes. Um, let's knock it on the head now. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it just it keeps coming back to the expectation. Mm. You know, if, um, if, if monthly is going to even then be too hard, then it might be quarterly, but it might be that um, you know, the operational director sends out a weekly update. Yes. Yeah. These are the high level. Um, we have this issue with the staffing, you know, mm-hmm. this problem. Um, we are going to be short next sure. for cash, so can we get an injection? Which mm-hmm. we'll pay back in two weeks. Yes. So it's just like it's always running to plan, mm-hmm. and people just feel comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it means that there's an opportunity to be able to push back if there's an issue and say, look, what's going on here? This is not what we agreed. Yeah. Um, let's fix this or, you know, pivot, because sometimes you have to in business, that's just the way it goes. So, sure. Yeah, if everyone's on the same page and it's it's documented, we're not talking about a full agreement here, but it's yes. documented, this is who's responsible for what, this yep. is when we're going to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, don't want to be getting copying phone calls at 11 o'clock at night going, where's the money? Need to make sure everyone's, that a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. need to make sure everyone's yeah. on the same path. I think it's really important to, you mentioned about the documentation, to deal with solicitors or lawyers that have a background um, in whatever business that you're going into, yeah. uh, because the agreements are really important, and it's not to say that you, you use one exactly off the shelf, but it's probably 80-20. Yeah, you know, you want to make sure you take into key considerations, like is someone, you know, doing what they should for the business? What yeah. is their role as a director? And if mm-hmm. they're not, 
they can what's their role yeah. <laughs> and, and, and what's the process to have mm-hmm. them either step back up mm-hmm. or, or step out step out yeah the hardest thing that can happen is particularly in a business that's going quite well mm. is to have someone whose role isn't articulated in an agreement and the business is profitable because they can then potentially stop doing what the handshake agreement was and still maintain getting the profit mm-hmm. which just puts additional pressure on those that are doing the heavy lifting yeah, without the ability to get them out what what do you do in a situation, let's say a business has been going for three or four years, but priorities change amongst the three directors there are, and someone does want out, they want to sell out. What do you do in regards to valuing that business to make sure that yeah, well, I think someone gets a good deal? Got to, before you get to that point, if I'm just thirty percent, yeah, you just need to unwind it back to that, you know, the upfront mm. in the event that someone wants out. Yeah, what, what is the process? Mm. Documented, nice and easy, really clear. You go back to that documented process mm. and it's what you follow. Sean's you don't want to be making it up on the spot. Some no. examples would be is that if people aren't acting in a manner which is great for the business, so that might be sure. if the three of us were in business and yep. we, we use a predetermined value or we say that we we're going to get two values in and, and they come back in and say that it's worth $500,000. Yes. But you've been, you've done some actions which don't align with the business or may bring it into disrepute, that your percentage might be um, able to be purchased out by the two of us yes. at a lower predetermined amount. Right. Um, so that helps with things like you know criminal actions or mm-hmm. if people aren't doing the right thing. Sure. But then also as well, I think the other things to take into consideration are how quickly does someone want to sell out? Mm-hmm. If you want to sell your 50% to Braden and I today, mm-hmm. well, the likelihood is that you're going to have to wear a bit more hurt from an evaluation point of view as opposed to if we allow the right sort of framework and process to find the right buyer or for us to be able to get the finance to then buy you out properly. So it's probably no different to selling a house. Yeah, most definitely. Depends what market you're selling in, depends on how quickly you want to sell it and depends mm-hmm. on the type of condition the house is in. Yep, totally agree. Let's say we're going well and we've got two sites, for example. We think we can grow to four, five, six sites. I've seen a couple of people of note make mistakes where they put it all under the one entity. Mm. What's the best way to scale the business so if if one of the one of the locations doesn't work, that it doesn't crumble the whole deck of cards? Yeah, um, yeah super important. Mm. Our, our advice to our, almost all our clients around that would be separate venture for separate entity, right. just to separate them. Yeah. Um, sometimes if it's gonna be maybe a side deal, like if you've got a restaurant, but you get it then maybe just gonna sell coffees out the front of your coffee cup. Yes, yeah, it's it a bit different worth doing it. Yes. Yeah, so we, yeah. we might bundle it then. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to make sure that, you know, the client's set up in the most effective way to be able to smooth it out. Yeah. To, like, it does happen, we see it often, where one entity will be making a loss, the other a profit. Yes. So we need to be able to make sure that we can, you know, move it across and so forth in an easy way. Mm-hmm. Um, that smooths it out. And also at the risk point of view, like you, you touched on, that if, that entity does go under, it's mm-hmm. going to pull everything else down. So yeah. separate entity means there's separate lease agreements, separate finance agreements, separate payroll. Um, and and you know, effectively, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have any impact on the other entities at all. Is that hard to get an owner's head around it because of the cost that that would involve? Extra cost that would involve? Yeah. Even though security's there? You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, particularly, well, it definitely does for people that are 
starting from scratch. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Because they've they've either um, never had a business before, mm-hmm. or they don't understand how an ABN works and the structure yep. and so forth. I think yep. um, people that might have experience with it understand it a little bit more. It doesn't mm-hmm. make handing over the cash up front any easier. Um, but uh, you know, the conversation we have about with our clients all the time is, um, what's the risk? What's the risk to you for not doing this? And you know, for the in the scale of things, you know, in the scheme of things, what you pay up front is such a small percentage of what it could be worth to you in ten years or yeah, something. Yeah, most definitely, it's a no-brainer. Um, and you know, most people take that advice pretty well. So. Mm-hmm. I think a really important thing for business owners to do is what we call pre-mortem. Okay. So. If you if you move forward five years and look at why it, it's fallen over or right. why it's died, and I think those That's answers will then get flushed out pretty quickly. Mm. And if you take into consideration, be it market forces, be it you know the financial world, be it working with different business partners that are at different stages of their life, mm. if you then look at why it's likely to fall over, and then I can promise all the business owners out there it doesn't make it fall over because you talk about it, but once People go into it, um, often like people do in their second marriage, where they go yes. in with their eyes wide open, yep. Yep. go in thinking that it's going to fall apart, mm. and prepare the documentation, the structures around that, mm-hmm. and then you've at least got peace of mind. Yeah. You've limited the damage. Now, there's always been collateral damage in any There's always, yeah. cash in business going down. <coughs> yeah, if you can limit that, um, then you've done what you can, and you've got to be comfortable with that. Sure. Um, are you having any clients coming to you about payroll issues or anything like that at the moment? Are you, are you saying to clients at the moment that they need to use specialised payroll officers to do their, to do their payroll in hospitality? Yeah. And the reason I ask at the moment is because, you know, the last three years have been carnage for hospitality businesses with payroll. Yeah, right? yeah it's, it's cash, blah, 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 blah. blah. And, and, and it's, they're going to be the, the spotlight. Without a doubt. All over the industry. All over it. Yeah. Um, you know, our advice to all our clients is, um, you know, even the ones that do look like from the outside that it's nice and clean. Sure. Speak to an expert. Make sure the agreements are going to yep. stand up. Yep. Um, for payroll disputes that pop up with particular employees, just go and talk to someone. Yeah. It's not. It's hard for at, at, at the start. As yeah, well. yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And then at the accounting level, it can be a little bit tricky to separate that. Sometimes mm. we have to um, just be careful around. around Sure, like legal advice on that. Of course, it, it, yeah. it's a legal area, um, mm-hmm. and there's you know, depending on where you are in Australia, where you're set up, there's different rules as well at state yeah. level or Australian level. So, um, yeah, there's plenty of great HR um, you know, advisors out there and, and lawyers that you can chat to, and it's surprisingly not as expensive as what you think. It's not yeah. you know, like going to a big solicitor in town to get advice. Um, there's organisations out there that you can um, get a legal so that you get a monthly subscription to. Mm. You can access them any time. Yep. That's a great fee per month. Yep. So, yeah, it depends on the size again. Um, obviously, managing three to five people is a bit easier than managing 30 to 50. Most definitely. Um, each to their own. But, yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things uh, you just can't mess around on the payroll side of it. Yeah. So particularly at the moment where, you know, everyone's... Everyone's red hot. Everyone's in yeah. Down. yeah. I think you've also got... You've got the legal and the liability side and yeah. you've also got the side of what's your job <laughs> and, and I would implore people as they're running a business to keep timesheets of what they've done over a week or a month Yes. because what they might well find is that they're spending more time doing these 
things that they're not trained for or that they don't have experience in. Yeah, it takes them longer. Uh, it takes them longer, but also as well, as once you do engage with professionals, you can then sit on their shoulder to learn some of it. Most definitely. So therefore, you know, no different to where people have a bookkeeper as, lo- as well as an account. Yeah. You can then start to, to get a, a deeper knowledge, and we spoke about initially about being a generalist. Yes. Helps you to create that depth and breadth mm-hmm. of knowledge mm-hmm. to then be able to make quicker decisions down the track. Totally agree. Two or three months' time, you might then go, this is really quickly above my head. Yes. I will engage with a HR specialist or mm-hmm. a legal specialist to help me get through this. Totally. And that can then either you know, provide peace of mind or get an outcome. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Is there, is there a level of turnover or a level of amount of employees that you say that you know you should you should really talk to someone now, or is that really where that business is at yeah. yourself from from one? Yeah, yeah you right. Have someone you can lean on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And particularly once you get towards sort of twelve to fifteen, the workplace laws do change they quite do change. significantly. Yeah. So yeah. I completely agree with with BJ to at least be aware of when you're going to start making these decisions. Yes. So one staff member you might just have someone to contact mm. and seven staff members you might be going hey I'm really comfortable where this is at but once I get 10 on I'm going to jump the curve mm-hmm. find out you know what I need to do to tick the boxes and then also to provide a great place for my staff totally. and then it's like it from 15 onwards that you completely outsource it or whatever it might be but mm-hmm. make conscious decisions yeah. don't let it sneak up on you and be that thing that you wake up at 2 in the morning and go hey three of my staff members don't have a privacy agreement or don't have a non-compete agreement if they're yes. really important staff yes let's get on top of it first yeah totally or worse um, worst case is the horse is bolted and you're trying to fix things and some mm-hmm. things just can't be fixed no yeah. not after the fact yeah totally agree I'll stick up the footy club that leads in so well to my last question Matty um, so how do you think automation is changing so many different parts and I've been talking about automation in the last couple of podcasts um, automation accounting is no different mm. and we're seeing invoicing you know going straight to cloud and all this kind of stuff like how do you think automation is actually going to change the accounting industry for hospitality over the next you know the next couple of years yeah oh, look, look, it's been um, you know I think the hospitality industry in general has been really quick to pick up on a lot of this yeah. stuff like if you think about something like long ago the orders were still taken on a, a yeah. notepad um, a lot of even and small facts and facts, um, yeah, you know, a lot, a lot of places now, and they don't have to be big places, yeah. taking orders on iPads and phones, and yes. you know, they've got yeah. the screens there and it's tapping in mm-hmm. at the point of sale level. Mm-hmm. Um, you stand up the front, you order a coffee that goes on the screen, and then you, they, they turn it around, you tap your card, and it's done. Like, yeah, yeah that, it's, it's really quickening up that process. Mm-hmm. What it's really doing is giving um, us as the accountant and the client, uh, you know, uh, the, the information straight away and sure. it used to take a long time because it would be either the owner of, of the business or the bookkeeper that would enter that data maybe monthly maybe mm-hmm. quarterly mm-hmm. maybe yearly mm-hmm. it would then get sent to the accountant we'd review it we'd put it in the shape we'd tidy it up and then we'd go back to them and go oh this was your quarter but it's always a year long. yeah yeah it's way too way too long way so long. We, you know we can catch things now that used to take maybe a year to come, mm. come out of the once the shield, uh, the tree, tree was shaken up. Yeah. Now we've got it on hand. We can jump into any of our clients' books right now and tell you exactly what it's happening. As long as the books are up to date, of course. But of course. Um, you know, we can have a conversation with them on the phone. I can be saying, guys, this is a real problem. We need to fix this. Mm. And 
that's happening there and then rather, rather than 12 months time and by then it might be too late yeah for sure yeah okay I think Brayden just very quickly snuck into it about the compliance of businesses yes I think that if they're going to be really compliant with what they do and that's with staff checking in and out and you know when sales are happening and, and how long you know goods are sitting in yep. the back office yeah. or in the back shed or mm-hmm. warehouse or whatever it might be I think the efficiencies will be incredible. Yes. But I think a lot of it comes back to businesses making sure that people are in the right roles to ensure that happens. It's a really good point. Because it's all well and good to go in at the end of the month and say that there was 25 coffees sold on this day, mm-hmm. but once you get to the point of going, hey, we had 16 that were sold between 8.40 and 9 o'clock, and then we can actually start getting down minute to minute planning and work mm-hmm. out, well, we might not need someone there for eight hours in the day. We might need someone that we pay yeah. double time yeah. between 8 and 9.30 in the morning. Absolutely. Um, it starts to give you a whole lot of flexibility, but it absolutely relies on the people doing the one percenters mm. every day. Do you think that's where your business might change over the next, you know... I think it's going to change remarkably quickly from what I'm seeing in the market with other people and people hitting me up and saying, hey, Sean, I'm doing this in accounting and I'm only specialising in hospitality. I said, that's great. You know, some people do it really well, others don't. But I reckon that, that your brand and other brands will become virtual CFOs and you'll go, you'll go more into businesses and understand the data because it's in real time and hopefully it's synced with the correct point of sale and hopefully they're doing their stock taking right and all that kind of stuff. But do you think your your kind of operation and accounting and compliance will move into more advisory level on a more regular basis? Yeah, yeah. I mean the yeah, the automation side of it is affecting the accounting industry. Yes. As well because now you know the bookies. Yeah, yeah bookies. <laughs> but you know, from the accounting point of view, the compliance side of it becomes quicker and quicker. Yes. It means it's downward pressure on the price, which sure. is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on us as accountants and advisors to be able to step into the role now and yeah. because hopefully with the um, turnaround times and the accounting work coming down, there's more time to be able to spend with clients working through that CFO stuff. Yeah. Which, you know, any any decent CFO, you're probably paying 150 grand a year. Mm-hmm. But now you might be able to get one that's your accountant for 15 to 20. Yeah. A year. Yeah. It's amazingly powerful. Yeah, huge, huge. Mm. And and so the you know, you bang for your bucks out of this world compared to where it was 10 years ago. Most definitely. And it will get better and better mm. and better. As there's more products come on the market, um, there's a huge opportunity. Yeah. So how do you guys go about, you know, we, we say with automation, with invoices and going to cloud-based systems like Zero and stuff like that, are you thinking about going into businesses, hospitality businesses, and then training venue managers and managers in order to do that system properly? Because I can imagine the back end of that, when it comes to you and you have to do the compliance part, if the data's not clean, it's, yeah, it's, it's not historically that's where a lot of that cost comes from. Yeah. Because we spend a lot of our time cleaning it up. Yes. Um, <laughs> if we get it right from the start, then yes. it's win win for us because it takes yeah, less time, time for mm-hmm. the client because they, you know, they, they yeah. know it's right um, from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's even businesses out there now that are just specifically training operators mm. on that kind of stuff. Interesting. So, yeah. um, you know, we're dangerous enough in the field to be able to sit down with our clients and say, this is what you need to know. Yeah. Um, pretend to be experts other than the fact that we use it every day and we know, you know what, what are the shortcuts are mm-hmm. um, you know for the terms of a staffing level then we would generally recommend someone someone to come in and, and do yeah. it probably from the, the from the brand itself. the brand itself yeah 
um, it seems to work really well. But, mm-hmm. but certainly, you know, if we're, we've now got the opportunity to go in there and uh, recommend all kinds of products, and it's, there's a whole suite of them that potentially, you know, we can pick and choose. Yep. There's ones out there now you can send just a, a box of receipts off and it gets coded into your system for you. Wow. And it's a monthly subscription of 25 bucks a month sort of thing. Wow. I think the um, I think from our perspective, we've seen in the the health and, and medical space. Right. You know, you've got mm-hmm. companies like Zero, which um, have their specific sort of programs. But then there's as the the requirement and the appetite for more things pops up, um, no different to your app store. Yeah. <laughs> other things then pop up, which it's finding the right uh, outcomes or, or the right sort of ways to work for for different businesses. So I think that'll be the thing that really dramatically mm-hmm. changes. Mm-hmm. I think from a business perspective, it's always really hard from our position because we, right at the start, we spoke about what people go into business as. Yes. And then once they're in there, they realise what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Often for us, unfortunately, it's not a perfect world from the beginning. So we often find that month three or month six that we have to go back in and nearly start fresh because yeah. people realise that I mean, I can promise you that talking about payroll and talking about HR requirements is not on someone's agenda when they've just spent three hundred thousand dollars fitting up a beautiful cafe. It's one of the last things I think about. Yeah. In Balaclava. Yeah. Um, mm. But that's actually the thing that can make them come on start. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Boys, thanks for today. I really thanks appreciate it. What's the best way for people to find out about you guys and what you do? Get across to risingtidefinancial.com.au or alternatively, um, we'll put a couple of links up for both Brain and My Diary. Click on the link and uh, and lock in a 15-minute chat and we can hopefully give you a couple of pointers. Sweet. There's also plenty of stuff going up on Facebook and social media. Yeah. Um, If you want to see what we're doing for some of our clients, jump on the Google reviews. Yep. Honest feedback, eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. um, It's pretty diverse kind of service that we offer. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Mark. Gentlemen, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. Some great information there from Matt and Braden from Rising Tide Financial. As Matt said at the end there, I've linked in both Matt and Braden's schedules there. So you can just have a chat with them straight away and that you've got about your financial needs for your hospitality business. Thanks so much for tuning in for today's episode. If you want to give some feedback, just make sure you hit me up on Instagram under open pantry consulting super easy to find if you want to watch the video version of this podcast as well just go onto youtube type in open pantry consulting i reckon you'll find it i reckon you'll enjoy it talk to you next time right even though they're not females there's a feminine energy in this restaurant even when i'm not here (laughs) yeah yes and 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 funny enough is when steve and i were when we first started thinking about rosa blue Steve said right away, I want a name that, you know, I, I want the design to be very female. I, like He wanted it to have mm. feminine energy because it is his grandmother's Grandmother. cooking, you know, mm-hmm. and it is his mother's cooking. Um, so that he wanted that from the start. Mm. So, that's, that's incredible. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Now, one of the last questions I'll ask you guys today, um, sure. brands, brands like Uber Eats and, and obviously you have Postmates, uh, which is a, big brand uh, delivery concept in, in America as well. 
do you feel obviously they're important for for brands like Superfine because they're delivering your amazing product to guests who who don't want to be in the restaurant, right. but. But do you think it's going to change, that delivery model is actually going to change the whole hospitality landscape where people are just used to having, you know, great food or, you know, great food come to their house all the time and they don't want to experience an amazing experience like what we've heard today about Rosa Blue? Right. Huh. You know, it's funny. I mean, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> people still want to come to restaurants. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I think, though, you know, uh, for a restaurant like Rosa Blue, anyway, I mean, you come for the experience. You, I, think, I think they come for the experience. You mm. can't get that. You can't get that. By, well, maybe you can if you're feeling sick and you get a bowl of tortellini and brodo. Yeah. Yes. You know, it comes to you and you feel better. But for the most part, I mean, the, the space, the service, I mean, I hope that we've created something that people want to come and try, you know. I mean, it's funny, we're about to, we're thinking, considering launching um, delivery at Rosa Blue, but only for brunch, mm. only for brunch. Okay. Because, you know, we, we're downtown. Yes. A lot of people are looking for breakfast, you know, in the morning, maybe they don't want to get up. And so we're kind of grappling with how to, how to do that and how to make it still good, you know? Yeah, and, that's the hard um, bit, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And so, so we're, we're thinking about that. But funny enough, it's super fine. You know, most pizza delivery businesses are mostly all delivery. For some reason, everyone wants to come to the window. And it's it's a window. It's not even a restaurant. <laughs> you know? But, I mean, we have more people coming to the window than we have delivery. So now now we're, we're thinking, wow, I bet you we could do a lot more business if we start promoting delivery. So we're, we're kind of on the – we're starting to do that, you know? Do but these delivery services don't really work for uh, something like a super fine either because, you know, people are used to just calling a pizza place and um, service and pay the extra fees just to get a pizza yeah. delivered. So, um, so we don't really use it there either. We, we have it available just in case, um, and people do use it. But, um, I, you know, I think we focus, we'll focus more on doing our own delivery and um, – mm-hmm. And then you know, again, just people coming to the window because they will. I think it'd be I think it'd be pretty cool if a brand a brand did a delivery service that actually then brought it into your house and be like if you had room service at a hotel. Right, so, right. so if, if you were able to live on some some part of your brand's customer experience in someone's house in a really small way, you know when you deliver it for yeah. five minutes and if you controlled it, I think that'll be the power with brands like yours, which are humble in origin and, and really care about the product and the angle of service. I think that'll be, that'll be the new thing which people will pay for. They'll pay for an experience, but in their house, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's cool, that's, actually. Yeah, I think the, you know, the delivery thing is interesting because I went to this tech table conference in New York and there was a woman there, Tressie Lieberman from Chipotle, and she was mm. amazing. And what she said to me was like, it's, it's, it's incredible, you know, delivering. Um, she's like, you don't meet your, some of your best guests. You, you will never, ever meet them. No, and I thought that was so the strangest disconnect that I could have possibly imagined. Yeah. You know, you're running a business and never meet your people because they just get delivery. Um, but I think that when I heard that, I was also super inspired because for us in the restaurant businesses, our guests, they, they want that connection. Yeah. Mm. And it's so yeah. deep and vital 
that they want to be seen mm -hmm. and they want to be heard. Mm -hmm. And and that's what a, another important touch point for us is to see and to hear people, you know. Yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah. Guys, today has been an amazing experience. I appreciate you being so patient um, on the podcast. Um, oh, yeah. Of course, oh, yeah. Thank you. And, and taking up the time. Where Where's the best place um, that people can find out about about Rosa Blue and Superfine? Oh, um, well, um, we, we're big Instagrammers, so you can follow yes. us on Instagram, <laughs> Rosa Blue LA, um, and then also Superfine Pizza. And then obviously we have our websites as well. But, I mean, I think, you know, to really kind of, you know, since you're all the way over in Australia, if they want to get a, get a good feel of what goes on here, um, you know, our, our Instagram account's pretty good at, like, keeping people updated on what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally, I can totally vouch for that. So, um, yeah. uh, Dina, Hans, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I think this will start a, hopefully a friendship that we can, uh, I can actually visit one of your restaurants soon and, uh, oh, have a amazing. proper chat. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. Thanks, Sean. All right. Thanks so much, thanks, guys. Sean. Cheers. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Really enjoyed that version of the Open Pantry podcast as we start to talk to more American venues very shortly. Let me know what you think. Jump on Instagram on Open Pantry Consulting and just hit me up. Let me know what you think. Uh, your feedback is always valuable, but make sure you check out Rosa Blue and Superfine. They are doing incredible things and worthwhile a visit if you're around the place in California. Thanks, guys. Until next time, take care. Yeah, I'm in LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, so Chris Barron Consulting is my business name. Yeah. Um, look, I, I'm happy to have conversations with anybody um, face to face or you know online. It doesn't matter. But I, I like to be able to work with people to help them understand some of their challenges, what they have. How can I assist? Maybe I can't. But um, I've always found that people would genuinely seek out others to have a good outcome for not just themselves, but yeah. for their for their business, for their world, and I, I could never shut someone down saying, nah, I don't have any time for that, because yeah, yeah. I, I'm lucky in my career, I've had people invest a lot of time in me. Yep. Um, I don't do a lot of hospitality work anymore, yep. that's not by design, it's a bit by circumstances, I'm playing in a different um, industry at the moment, which yep. I'm loving, and yep. um, you know, I'll always have my heart and soul in hospo. Um, and more than likely, we'll start working again with hospital clients. But yep. um, at the moment, it's, it's interesting having a perspective the last six months where I haven't been involved daily in it. Yes. Being able to reflect on some of the things that we did and some of the things that I didn't do sure. um, gives me a, some wisdom that I wish I hadn't had during that time. But the truth of hospitality is that you are so in it, you, you can't, see, you can't see anything. You're not clear. So. So if I can help people by providing some of that, um, you know, I guess, wisdom around, well, can I challenge them about thinking differently? Can yeah, they yeah. can they potentially approach something in a different way? If that's all it's going to be, that'll be fine. Yeah. I'm keen to work with, you know, a lot of different clients who genuinely believe that this is something that they want to go on into. Yeah. Because if I say that they're not genuine about it, then... They're wasting my time, I'm wasting their time. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Chris, thanks so much. No, thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Thanks so much for tuning in to another great episode of The Open Pantry. 
podcast. I hope you really enjoyed that. So many great nuggets there from Chris. Uh, he gave such great detail, and I really appreciate his time. Now, as Chris was saying, if you want to get in contact with him, probably the best way is on LinkedIn. If you want to know how to spell his last name properly, because it is a bit of a challenge, even for me to say, is F I R I N A U S K A S. So that's the best way to contact him on LinkedIn. Uh, I think you'd find it really, really valuable. Otherwise, contact me as always and, and let me know and I'll hook you up. I hope you have a great day and speak to you again soon.